Big question to start off the morning. Can you summarize the purpose of your life? Nothing like a, a little softball question to kick off the day, right? Um, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is a document created in the 1600s, attempting to answer some of life's big questions from a biblical perspective, they asked a similar question. The, the first question it posed in the entire catechism was this. What is the chief end of man? In other words, what is our purpose? And with today being Super Bowl Sunday, don't get too distracted by the word chief here, right? <laughs> I mean, um, some people would probably say the chiefs are the most important things in their lives, sadly. But the question is asking, what is our purpose as humans? If, if there's any deep-rooted plan behind what we were created for, what would it be? And those who authored the Westminster Shorter Catechism answered it this way. They said, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. They summed up our purpose with, with two complementary ideas. First, to glorify God, and second, to enjoy him forever. I like that. I think it, it gets to God's desire for mankind. It shows why he created us in the first place. And it centers it all in a desire for relationship. However, I, I think we could all agree that this is a, a higher level answer. Like it's good and true, but there are obviously many people who don't live according to this chief end. Instead of living in a way that brings God glory, or lasting joy, we pursue lesser purposes. Some pursue their career as if having their name on a sign out front will fulfill their purpose in life. And I'm, I'm sorry that if this is news for you, but the signs will one day stop lighting up. The firms will fold and your contribution will long be forgotten. Others pursue relationships and assume that investing themselves in friends or romantic partners or even in their children will bring value and worth to their lives. But again, people will move away. They'll build new lives without you. Your children will one day leave your house, hopefully if everything goes according to plan. Uh, and Lord willing, you've made a great impact on their heart and their character, but after those 18 to 20 some odd years, will you be left feeling like you no longer have a purpose once they leave? And maybe your pursuit in life isn't centered around career or relationships. Maybe it's centered around health or hobbies. Uh, maybe you have made exercise and recreation your primary focus. But again, those things won't last. One day, your body will turn to dust. You might be in great health and encounter a totally unexpected medical emergency. You might put time and money into your hobbies, but one day it will all be packed up and sold in a garage sale for way less than you think it's worth. Now, what is your purpose in life? What drives you? What excites and motivates you? What do you spend the most time thinking about? Now, listen to this final question and think about this. In a hundred years... Will it have mattered? In a hundred years, will what you have pursued with your life 
make any lasting difference. Now rest assured, we're not in the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. (laughs) We're continuing our series, The Gospel According to Luke. We're in part two of Luke's gospel. Uh, Remember, he also wrote the book of Acts, which we are in today. Uh, Last year, in part one, Luke gave an account of Jesus' life and his ministry, which culminated in his death and resurrection. And now, in part two, Luke focuses on the Holy Spirit's work in the early church as they sought to live out the way of Jesus and share the news of what he had done with the world. So if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts 14. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we have some orange and white ones available in the seats in front of you. Uh, You can find today's text on page 628 in those orange and white Bibles. But we'll begin reading verses 1 through 7 this morning. Luke writes, In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. There they continued preaching the gospel. Now if you remember, last week Paul and Barnabas experienced several partings of the way. John Mark left the group and returned to Jerusalem. Then they continued on to Antioch, where they taught how Jesus was the fulfillment of God's plan from long before the nation of Israel was even known. And some accepted this teaching and believed, but others rejected the teaching, and they stirred up others to persecute Paul and Barnabas, forcing them to leave the city. Now, in response, Paul and Barnabas, they shook the dust off their feet, and they moved on to Iconium. And today's passage picks up with their arrival in Iconium and their regular practice of going to the synagogue first. Um, We have a a map, if we could pull that up. A little bit, there we go. Uh, In this map, so they left Antioch on the far right side, sailed across and up. And then they traveled north to Antioch, where they were kicked out, and then moved southeast to Iconium, which is where they are today in our passage. Um, And as this passage picks up, they go to the synagogue first, as usual. And the text says that many responded, both Jews and Greeks, but that isn't all who responded. Uh, The Jews who didn't believe responded as well. But they responded with hatred and animosity. Uh, Verse 2 says that they actually stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now, have you met someone like that? Someone who is just filled with so much hatred and rage against something that they, they make it their mission to frustrate and sabotage the work of others. Uh, When we were first beginning as a church, before we had even begun meeting at the school, We had a mission team come and help us go door-to-door sharing information about the church and inviting kids to a a little summer camp we were doing. Uh, 
And there's, there's usually one or two people who make it known that they want nothing to do with Jesus or the church, and, and we try to respect that. And we try to show love in that moment and not contribute to the anger, but we're not going to press an issue. Uh, but one individual that our team met, they made it uh, their personal mission to try to frustrate and put an end to our efforts. Uh, this, this person was outside when the team arrived, and when they offered him this information about what we were doing, he, he became really irate and started shouting that what we were doing was actually illegal. And recognizing where this was heading, the group leader who was there decided just to try to peaceably move on. But this person jumped in his car, and I kid you not, started chasing down our vehicle, uh, nearly hitting them. And thankfully, we were able to call the police, and they informed this man that we were totally within our legal rights, and the officer even encouraged us to continue doing exactly what we were, and he shut down this individual's efforts against us. But the, the Jews in Iconium, they had a similar mindset. They were going to do everything in their power to shut down and destroy the work that Paul and Barnabas were doing. Now, Luke doesn't give great detail about what these individuals did to try to poison the minds of the Gentiles. Maybe they began to gossip and attempt to undercut their credibility. Now, maybe they lied and slandered by saying that this message that Paul is teaching, it's going to negatively impact your businesses. It's going to hurt the economy in Iconium. Maybe they threw out the old fear that you might lose power if these Christians come in and start to take over. Whatever their method, I want you to see that the fruit flows from the root. We see bitter actions being taken because there is a deep-seated heart of bitterness. To put it simply, a heart of bitterness is going to overflow with words and actions fueled by bitterness. Now you might ask, how is what Paul and Barnabas are doing any different than what the Jews are doing? Aren't they both just trying to convince others that what they believe is right? Is, is that guy who attempted to stop our efforts in the neighborhood any different than when you or I stand outside an abortion center and try to stop the killing of a baby? You know, I think that's an important question to address. First and, and most important, I think we need to look to Jesus. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus told his disciples, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, as I said a moment ago, the fruit flows from the root. If we are disciples of Jesus, we need to live and love the way that he did. And as I look at the life of Jesus, he wasn't one to stay isolated and removed from people who lived in opposition with him. He often sat and ate with people who lived radically different lives than what he taught. He shared meals with ultra-religious Pharisees who totally missed the heart and the plan of God. He ate with prostitutes who feared that they might be unworthy of God's forgiveness and love. Even racist and power-hungry disciples 
who believed that they were more worthy of God's love and favor than the Samaritans. Jesus didn't remove himself from them. Instead, he attempted to draw them closer to himself. He showed them love. And often that love involved correcting sin and error. But his correction wasn't out of anger. It wasn't out of hatred or bitterness. It was rooted in love. And because the root was established in love, the fruit also flowed from a place of love. So when we ask the question, is what we are doing any different? I would hope that we would all clearly see that the fruit, the outworking, is filled with love because the roots behind our actions is also love. And I want to be super clear on this point. Love does not mean silence or acceptance. Love also doesn't mean that we have to cancel anyone who continues to live in opposition to the gospel. If your neighbor continues to reject your sharing the gospel with them, that doesn't mean just close the door and never speak to them again. I think we have to remember that you and I, we're called to live and speak according to our convictions. But I also think that we have to remember that you and I cannot save anyone. You and I cannot change anyone's heart or mind. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So we should be faithful to speak the truth in love. And we must trust the end results to God. And I think that's exactly what we see Paul and Barnabas doing here. Verse 3 says, So, or since the Jews had poisoned the minds of the Gentiles, so they stayed there a long time, and they spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. You see, they spoke boldly, but it was God who ultimately did the work of testifying to the authenticity and the power behind this message. And just one final note here before we move on to Lystra. From my understanding of the text here, the miracles came as an affirmation of the message. It wasn't an ongoing thing. There, there seems to be a, a desire among many today to see and encounter miracles. Now, at, at face value, I don't think it's wrong to want to experience or witness miracles. And I'm not saying that miracles can't happen in our world today. However, I believe we typically see miracles happening on the front lines of ministry. And miracles often accompany new works, either to uh, authenticate the message, like we see happening here in Iconium, or to prove that Yahweh is the one true God who is worthy of worship, as we'll see in the next verses. Now, can this happen in our world today? Yes, I believe so. But I would caution us all, don't seek the miracle over and above the miracle worker. All right? Now, now Paul and Barnabas, they stayed in Iconium a long time. The Lord did miracles to affirm the message. And even still, the people turned against Paul and Barnabas causing them to, to flee to the neighboring towns. But that didn't stop them from preaching the gospel. Now, are you beginning to sense 
how Paul and Barnabas might answer our question from earlier, what is your purpose in life? Let's continue reading and we'll see it even more clearly in the verses to come. This is verses 8 through 20. In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet, had never walked and had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke, and after looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and began to walk around. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you. We are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he didn't leave himself without a witness since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, He got up and went into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derbe. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they arrive in Lystra, which is about a 20-mile journey south of Iconium. Uh, This was about a full day's walk in their culture. And One commentator describes Lystra as a backwater, rustic, and countryside town. Okay? Uh, You might notice that this is one of the few times where Paul doesn't go to the synagogue when he arrived, uh, which probably means that there was very little, if any, Jewish influence in the city. And I want you to hear that the location and the audience might change, but the message doesn't. Uh, And I love Paul's example throughout this entire journey. He simply wants people to know and follow Jesus. He doesn't care who they are or where they're from. If it's a high-ranking civic leader, he's going to tell them about Jesus. If it's Jews or Greeks, he's going to tell them about Jesus. If it's a handicapped man begging to survive, he's going to tell him about Jesus. This message isn't just for a select few. It isn't an us-versus-them mindset. It's life-over-death mindset. And because... Paul had experienced dramatic life change after meeting Jesus. He wants others to experience that same life change as well. Just like a heart of bitterness overflows with words and actions fueled by bitterness, so too a heart that has been changed by the gospel should overflow with words and actions fueled by the gospel. Now Paul shares the gospel. He heals the man. And then people start to pay attention. Now, 
Unfortunately, they apparently hadn't been paying attention to Paul's teaching because they assume that Paul and Barnabas are literal gods in the flesh. And they try to worship them and offer sacrifices to them. And of course, Paul and Barnabas object and they try to show these people that these are false gods. They're worthless and that Yahweh is the only God worthy of worship. But it doesn't seem to make any difference. The, the people, they stop the sacrifice, but there doesn't seem to be any lasting gospel impact. Instead, we see growing opposition. Verse 19 tells us that Jews from Antioch and Iconium, they come to track down Paul and Barnabas. They gain favor with the crowds and they end up rioting and attempting to kill Paul. And after the crowd leaves, thinking that Paul is dead, verse 20 tells us the disciples gathered around Paul. He gets up goes back into town for the night, and then in the morning, they pack their bags and leave for Derby, a town about a three-day's journey southeast of Lystra. Now, from the surface, this journey might appear to be a, a massive failure. Like at this point, they might have begun to wonder, is this all a waste? Like, are we just throwing our lives away for this? I mean, they had traveled roughly 750 miles at this point by sea and land. They'd been gone for about a month already, and they were just coming up to the halfway point of their journey. They'd spent maybe 300 denarii, which is almost a full year's wage. Was it all a waste? Would it have been better if the church in Antioch had just turned inward and tried to live in peace and comfort rather than literally risking their lives just so these people would reject the message that they heard? In the words of the Foo Fighters, it's times like these you'll learn to live again. It's times like these you give and give again. It's times like these you learn to love again. It's times like these time and time again. Now, you and I, have a similar question to ask ourselves. Last week, I, I re repeated this phrase several times, it's worth it. And we are and will continue facing challenges, but it's in these challenging times that we go back to our question from earlier, what is your purpose in life? What drives you? What excites and motivates you? For Paul and Barnabas, it's clear that they understood their purpose in life. Even when they were tempted to ask the question, is it worth it? They could quickly answer, yes, yes it is. And if they went on to ask, will our purpose matter a hundred years from now? You and I can enthusiastically answer, yes, it matters. Now their sacrifices in the moment may have limited their ability to envision the long-range impact. But take a moment and remember that you are here today because of people like Barnabas and Paul who said, yes, it matters. It's worth it. We may not know all of the names of the people in our spiritual heritage, but think just for a moment about the person who told you about Jesus. Maybe it was a parent or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker, 
classmate, I would encourage you to, to reach out to them and express some gratitude. Now, just a, as a simple thought exercise, consider someone else told that person about Jesus. And someone told that person. And on and on and on you could go. See, the message is dependent on people just like you and me telling someone else about Jesus. So back to our big question of the day. What is your purpose in life? The Westminster Shorter Catechism said that it's to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. I believe the best way that we can do both, glorifying God and truly enjoying him, is by telling others how good he is and what he's done in your life. It doesn't have to be long and complicated. In fact, there's a really simple way you can share your testimony in 15 seconds. It could go something like this. There was a time in my life where I was selfish and I was a manipulator of others. But then I was forgiven by Jesus and I chose to follow him. And now I've discovered the joy of serving others and living out my purpose. Do you have a story like that? 15 seconds. You can share how Jesus changed your life and invite someone else to respond. Next month, we're going to be having a church-wide evangelism training, March 22nd and 23rd, and we're going to learn and practice how we can grow in telling others what Jesus has done in our lives. Now make sure you have that on your calendars. We'll be sharing more in the weeks to come. But if you're here today and you're unsure how to answer the question, what's your purpose in life? Or if you recognize that you've been pursuing the wrong purposes, I would love to speak with you and encourage you after service, but I also want to say you don't have to become a, a monk or a, a live in a monastery to live out a purpose for the Lord. God has placed you in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your families for a reason. So we can live out this purpose where we are. How could you use what he has given you for his glory? How can you tell others that he's placed around you how good of a God he is? You don't have to escape from the world. We are sent into it. So let's go into it boldly. And would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these brothers and sisters and the chance that we have to worship you and to celebrate who you are. Father, I pray that as a church you would continue to embolden us, that we would embrace our purpose and our callings in life. And Lord, I thank you that our stories don't all look the same and the way that you've called us doesn't look the same, but you've made us for a purpose. Help us to live according to that. I ask that we would be people who live on mission day after day, continuing to point people to you through the hardships, through the celebrations. It's all yours, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.